What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Hey everyone and welcome to Real Life Real Crime Daily for Wednesday, March 1st. And I'm Jim Chapman. And I'm Woody Overton. And I'm Mike Agavino. Hey guys. Hey, hey. What's up? What's up? Good to be back with my brothers. Always. Loving it. What better way to start off a show than to talk about our favorite politician? <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> she is indeed. Can't get enough LaToya. Mm-mm. And we're not talking about Jackson, y'all. Yeah. She's she, she, she a little Toya Jackson. I still love her flipping off the folks. Yeah, class, class, <laughs> class, class. I wonder if in the history of mayors in cities across the United States, there's ever been uh, another case of a mayor flipping off. Yeah, remember I said if I, if I was the mayor of Butland or somebody yeah. was the mayor of Butland. I don't think they flip. People Do you think off. that becomes a thing now, though? That mayors all over the country will start flipping the bird at at people? No. Yeah, I can't see that happening with, myself. Well, with a lot of the mayors that, have, well, the Chicago mayor may flip some people the bird here. She's uh, uh, she's her recall election uh, is today. Really? Yeah. The dancing mayor. What's her name? Oh, her name? I can oh, see her right now. She dances. Like Shabazz's dances? No, no, no. <laughs> Chicago no, there's no, to the main stage. There's no poll involved, <laughs> okay. but she. Does. Oh my God, Mike! I can't believe I can't. She may do that poll workout thing. You know, that's a thing now, right? You should get a yeah, no, no. I think I don't. There's, there's is no. That, pole is that involved. how you work out, Mike? <laughs> I, I do the. Uh, I did see your video about. I the way. do the that's horizontal, right. not the vertical pole. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you saw the video. I, I saw the video. It's the yes. best. Yeah, that's uh, that's. Uh, well, let's talk about the difference. the mayor of New Orleans, of course. When you hear LaToya, that's the first thing you're going to think of. And uh, New Orleans residents are seeking to push controversial mayor LaToya Cantrell out of office. They claim she is guilty of quiet quitting by failing to meet with her department heads for over a year. <laughs> I mean, that is so ridiculous. Okay, so if you've if you've ever run a business of really of any size um, where you have different departments, you have to meet with those departments on a regular basis. I can tell you from my history in the uh, broadcast radio and digital audio uh, business that every Monday at 830, we had a department head meeting where right. each department head had to report on 
what was going on against their objectives, what was happening from the, the week prior, what was uh, – you know, goals, what their, what their going forward uh, uh, issues and challenges were. And so how could you have any kind of a feel for what's happening in your city if you're not meeting with your I, department heads? I also read that she hasn't met with like other public officials, not just the department heads, but like other politicians or city leaders or whatever in over a year, year and a half. Means she's Rod, retired on duty. Retired on duty. That's amazing. The recall effort against Cantrell 50 launched in August of 2022 as vice chair organizer Ellen Carter worked to gather over 50,000 signatures, y'all, by February 22nd, a goal she insists that they not only met, they surpassed. Now, And, and their people were out everywhere. I mean, you saw them every weekend at uh, main street corners with the uh, you know trying to uh, get people to pull over and sign the petition and so they were very very aggressive and and the the Carter woman worked for Cantrell I yeah, she was her for three social, years. social media director right. and so this is somebody who was on the inside who saw that uh, there was a complete lack of leadership who uh, I mean she doesn't nothing happens for her. She doesn't become mayor or something. This isn't a challenge from uh, uh, from somebody who's seeking the position. This is somebody who was in the office of the mayor in an important role and saw that, you know, that there's incompetence and uh, and led the efforts to uh, to challenge it. Well, and, and that's right. And as crime rates increased, of course, uh, residents became very fear- fearful of that. Uh, which also prompted this, but quiet quit is just a fantastic term for what she's uh, apparently doing. Now, uh, Carter was quoted as saying, right now our mayor doesn't love New Orleans, so the citizens and residents stood up. We're taking our city back, and we're going to save New Orleans. Cantrell had been on the front end, y'all, of several scandals during last week's Mardi Gras uh, footage, as we discussed, she was flipping off riders yeah. on floats. Kind of, kind of crazy. Just absolute love, <laughs> absolutely. And prior to that, uh, there was reports that she had an affair with her bodyguard. Uh, and you know, the scandal after scandal. It seems like lately with her lack of care for the city, she denied the affair, but the cop's wife. Um, said the cop confessed to it, even, you know, even though she's not directly named in the in the divorce petition. They let the name as anonymous, but it, you know, I think the news channels has confirmed. Have yeah, confirmed yeah that. there's a long list, and she was living in a uh, in a place that uh, uh, the city was paying for. Uh, I think she has since paid them back the money that uh, that she owed, but she's. Uh, She's she's, spe- she's she's special. She's got some she's got some dirt under those fingernails. Bless her heart. Well, it's look, it's no secret. Uh, even aside from all that, the crime in New Orleans is just rampant. Uh, they were named the nation's murder capital in 2022, and that's that's going up against some steep competition to say Baton the least. Baton Rouge, yeah. For example, uh, you know, so you've got constituents that are essentially very fearful. Uh, 
when news of that came out and just the obviousness of it, uh, New Orleans, in fact, received a 116% increase in homicides between just 2019 and 2022. As a matter of fact, the city has recorded in 2022 280 homicides, 480 shooting incidents, 541 robberies, and 279 carjackings. And I'll tell you this, I I personally know a lot of friends that go to like Pelican games and stuff right. like that. I can't tell you the amount of break-ins that they have into cars in New Orleans during these games. Oh, it's they're crazy. They're doing it outside of Antoine's and all the, the, the richest uh, restaurants also. They're waiting on them and coming out and carjacking them. Yeah, but didn't carjacking go up like a hundred and something percent? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. two hundred seventy nine of those, almost uh, one a day. Yeah, but it went up like a hundred something percent over the year before. Absolutely, and uh, Carter also told Fox News that we're like Gotham down here. Yeah. She said, "So where's Batman? We don't know, but uh, they're definitely putting out the bat signal now." Uh, it's sad to say, but that's kind of what people are calling us. She said. And we're calling ourselves that. People are fearful. This administration hasn't risen to the occasion that we need right now. Quality of life standards are just diminishing. Aside from crime, the upkeep of the historic city has diminished. As Carter claims, buildings have been broken and potholes fill the streets. I saw a meme where Superman was drinking a a glass of scotch and he had his cape on in a hard day's work. He said, I'll fight crime anywhere except New Orleans. Fuck New Orleans. <laughs> really? <laughs> God. <laughs> so if the county register office verifies that these 50,000 signatures that Carter has went out and collected are valid, a recall election is automatically triggered, and that'll allow voters to decide on whether to oust Cantrell or, or keep her. Uh, residents of New Orleans may know before Easter whether their embattled mayor will face a recall election in what will be probably one of the highest profile political rebukes in the nation. Yeah. Well, it'd be well deserved. Well, there's there's already another uh, scandal brewing over this thing. Apparently, these boxes with the signatures mm-hmm. were uh, were moved. Out of the location that they were uh, originally uh, left in. And so, um, you know, there's rumblings around the uh, the city and it's being reported on the news that, you know, there's concerns about uh, possibly, you know, that stuff being tampered with. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I'm sure it was Latoya's people that did it. Yeah. It's uh you know, it's a situation where you're trying to let the system work for you, and and there are those requirements, such as so many signatures uh, to recall a mayor. In this case, uh, there was actually ten boxes that were delivered of recall petition signatures to the Register of Voters, and uh, and Carter insists that. These are well over the 50,000 required, so we'll have to see on that. And I'm sure LaToya is going to challenge every one of them in court. Well, and it's that it's up to this. Uh, Sandra Wilson is the, uh, the registrar uh, for New Orleans who's ultimately now responsible for reviewing those. And, uh, uh, you know, they have to hit this 20% of active registered 
voters is the is the tally. the the the, the number that they got the fifty thousand uh, is based upon that. But yeah. uh, but now they they can also review those. Yeah, it doesn't mean the registered voters. So it's important to keep in mind that all fifty thousand of those signatures have to be registered voters. So you know she may have well over fifty thousand. Uh, but they all have to be registered voters, and uh, so keep that in mind. A lot of math yet left to be done on that front. Now, there's at least one lawsuit in play that could impact both the timing and the number of signatures required. Recall organizers are asking a New Orleans judge to order Wilson to canvas the voter rolls and remove the names of people who have died or moved out of the city, which would lower the threshold needed to trigger a recall. So the mayor responded, but within her office, Cantrell's communications director, Gregory Joseph, sent a statement to USA Today that said the mayor continues to work on behalf of the people of New Orleans. The city is just coming off a successful and safe Mardi Gras, and crime is down in numerous major areas. Now, I guess he's not considering the five people that were shot over Mardi Gras in New Orleans. No, I think the I think the I think it's a fair statement to say coming off a safe uh, Mardi Gras overall comparatively. Um, I I think it went off very well. Yes, you, you did have some things, but but by and large, it was uh, uh, it was positive. I like where they say crime is down in numerous major areas. Sure, you could come up with a cup, a handful right. of areas, and right. point to them and say, just you know, uh, uh, just based upon uh, math, you're going to have some places where uh, where it's down for whatever reasons. But overall, we know the city is way up. Yeah, well, I will always love New Orleans, always, 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 and I will always hate. Latoya. There you go. Last month on CBS's Face the Nation, the mayor expressed confidence in her effort to oust her and the effort to oust her will fail. Based on what I see, the residents of my city definitely appreciate continuity and leadership, she says. And so with that, I, I can't believe she was on Face the Nation. That's like putting me on the golf channel. I mean, yeah. that, that, she stuck out like a, like yeah. a sore thumb. But. Train wreck. And so with that, that speaks to keeping progress moving and alive under my leadership. Elected twice in the city, 61% the first time and 65% the second time. And that's just facts, y'all. Now, continuity and leadership is what I am seeing by my people. Flipping a bird certainly kicked that up a notch. Well, guys, it's uh, when whenever you move, you guys haven't moved in years, right? Well, Shit, I've moved like, like four times because eh, I've lived in the same place for twenty five years. Well, <laughs> me being in the uh, in the media for as many years as I was in the media, when I've moved, I've immediately sort of checked out. Okay, so what are the major TV stations? Who are the major news personalities? What's the quality of the uh, of the news? And you know, growing up in New York and seeing how uh, how the news anchors for the networks in New York handled their business versus when I moved to California, which was hysterical. Moving from New York where uh, everyone is serious and the people on camera, uh, really they're, uh, they're not paying that much attention to what people look like, at least at that point in time. It's about, it's about the quality of, of uh, their abilities as a journalist. You go to LA and you know every 
whether a person is a five foot nine inch blonde. I mean, it's all about uh, the look. They're half the stories are about missing dogs. I mean, it's a, just a, a different feel going from a New York to LA. So when I first came to New Orleans and uh, and began to check out the news, the very first thing that struck me, the story that was the story, which we're talking spring of 21, was this uh, building that had collapsed. They were building a hard rock uh, hotel downtown. I remember it. And this yeah. building collapsed during construction. So I, I don't even know the backstory of exactly what went wrong with their construction, but there were uh, three, I believe, construction workers who were uh, basically caught in the collapse and, and killed. One of these workers had half, the lower half of his body dangling outside the building. So I'm turning the news on and I'm in a new city and you've got half the torso of a person dangling outside of everybody who walked by. They tried to cover it with like a tarp, Mm -hmm. but the wind blew the tarp away. And so under this mayor, you have a dead man who's dangling from a building in downtown and people are walking by it. I mean, there were a thousand ways we could have come up with to cover that body so that the rest of the country wasn't laughing at us. Um, So that was my first impression of how buttoned up the city was, was that we had a body dangling from a building in downtown. Talk to y'all about something else that started out in New Orleans originally, and that's Popeye's chicken. Now, Mm. when I was at St. Stanislaus back in the early 80s, Al Copeland, who is the now deceased founders of Popeye's, um, son was at St. At St. Stanislaus, and he used to have this. Al Senior had the this big Chinook helicopter, uh, and it had Popeye's painted on it. And he used to land it every Friday in the empty lot by the school in Bay St. Louis, and there would be a Mississippi State trooper waiting to write him a ticket. And the uh, I asked him, I said. You know, why would you land here every Friday if you're going to get a ticket? He said, I can afford to fly this bird. I can afford to land there where I want to. But he <laughs> built his back off of simply the best fried chicken and and biscuits in Louisiana. And now it's all over the country. So you, y'all like Popeye's? I love it. All right. Like the biscuits, biscuits are the best. Right. Even the red beans and rice are good, right? And, and, uh, but let me tell you one lady who doesn't. Of Popeyes, and her name is Brenda Miller. She's fifty years old, from somewhere in Georgia. All right, so she goes to Popeyes, and then look. Every time you go through a drive-through, you have a pretty good chance of getting your order screwed up. That's any drive-through, right? So she goes to Popeyes, and they screwed up her order. All right, and she's pissed off, and she made threats um, to the employees even after they fixed her order. Okay. She was still unsatisfied with them. And so what does she do? She left. But then she came back. (laughs) And she drove her vehicle, her SUV, into the restaurant. Smashed into the restaurant until she couldn't go any further. Okay? Her vehicle's blocked. She can't go any further. She smashed through the wall, goes in, and then what does she do? She leaves. 
All right. So, but she she managed to drive that SUV an extra four feet inside the building, only stopping when the building debris prevented her car from entering any further. But then she promptly left the scene. Well, cops got called and they got the reports about the accident and the and potential injuries. And cops got the license plate. Somebody had come enough sense to write it down. And they go to her house. Well, what do they find? The SUV parked at her house with the front end damage. So she was arrested and and booked in for aggravated assault and first degree criminal damage to property. Her bail was set at four thousand dollars, y'all. But the Popeyes manager at the location said in the incident report that Miller had threatened staff and even called the restaurant to make threats about driving her car into the building before she did it. Hmm. And <laughs> so, so, wait, so when she drives through, she's not misinterpreting what it means, like the drive-through sign. Oh, no, didn't, no, 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 no. She didn't she, think that meant drive into the building. She placed her order. Okay. So they got her order incorrect. She didn't get her biscuits, okay? But they fixed it and gave her her biscuits. They fixed it. But, but she's she, still she, angry. And she left. She left. And, and check this out. She It's also reported that she told someone waiting in line to hurry up and get their order because she was coming back. <laughs> Okay, so she she gets her she actually gets the biscuits. After she gets the biscuits and she leaves, she decides she's so angry yes. that she's just going to yes. drive her vehicle right into the restaurant. Yes, and um, okay. she she sure showed them something, didn't she? Right? <laughs> Did she yeah. get like a box of biscuits or something? I mean, she, she, she you know didn't smuggle I'm, I'm, any biscuits I'm sure out of there. Somebody might have lip smacked at her or something or whatever, like this bitch, and she just evidently was having a bad day. But how in the fuck do you think you're going to get away with thread, making all threats and to even telling someone else to line, hurry up and get your order because I'm coming back to this bitch. I'm about to do some damage, right? And you drive in, and she probably would have killed somebody. I mean, she, I mean, she could. She, could sure. she doesn't know that there's patrons sitting behind the wherever she drove through. And uh, obviously she, she hurt some people, but... It's your Popeye's biscuits. What 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 do they charge her with? Um, they charge her with aggravated assault and first degree criminal damage to property. Ag assault being in Louisiana would, would be better. It's reversed everywhere else. Uh, so the assault means she actually physically harms someone with her vehicle. I'm sure it's going to get upgraded to um, attempted murder. You know, the, the I mean I don't know I don't get it. It's like so when, she'll go away for a while for this. Uh, she should. Uh, they, I mean, I don't know how the hell you get away with it. Uh, and can they make part of the the penalty that she's not allowed to have any biscuits, biscuits in while pr- in prison? In prison, I don't know because that's biscuits are a mainstay and a main staple in prison. But but they're made there. They don't yes, they don't import that's, Popeyes. That's right. They're made there. But here's the here's the kicker: you get that little packet of jelly. When, when you biscuit, if you're in your cell, and y'all know what they do with the jelly. Oh, <laughs> no, but that's see, yeah. the judges should have a little bit of discretion to add stuff yeah, on, should, like, like like in this I case, bet you never getting a biscuit again as long as you should be prevented yeah, from ever getting a biscuit. Biscuit, biscuit choke collar just to put on yeah, her. She ever exactly. t- tries to swallow a piece of biscuit again and just chokes her out. 
I don't know. I don't get it. I mean, I've been pissed off many, many, many times. Uh, you know, I've had shit. I don't know. It's, uh, it's just crazy that, you know, like the Popeye story I had um, where the guy went in and, and shot his wife who's working behind the counter and yeah, that didn't work. Awful. And he chased her down and cut her head off in the back door. It was awful. And guess what? Popeye's cameras weren't working. I hope they were working this day. Mm. Anyway, that's it. Uh, uh, the last thing I say about that is I can promise you the latest rave uh, or craze about Popeye's was a couple of years ago when they had the chicken sandwich, spicy chicken sandwich, yeah. and they had all the cars lined around the building. Um, I never ate one of those. I still haven't. Real Life, Real Crime Daily brought to you by Popeye's. Popeye's. <laughs> no. Anyway, y'all, that's just stupid and crazy. But on a more serious note, we want to talk about one of the first stories we ever did on Real Life Real Crime Daily, and that's the murders in, in Idaho. So our killer, that's or the person who's been charged, Brian Kohlberger, uh, um, y'all, he can actually face a firing squad now if, if he's convicted for the, the four killings of the college students in Idaho. Kohlberger, 28, a criminal justice doctoral student, student has been charged in the November 13th stabbing deaths of University of Idaho students. So the DA hadn't said whether or not they're going to charge him, uh, go for the death penalty, right? I'm sure they are because it's the most famous case, certainly in the last six months. Uh, but, you know, if, if he does and he's convicted the for these horrible crimes, then guess what? He now has the option of or prob- probability of being killed or the execution by firing squad. Because uh, the state, just like Louisiana now, currently uses lethal injection, but they can't get the chemicals anymore. Right. So these these uh, these folks on death row are just kind of sitting there. And it's important to note this is a bill that hasn't been passed yet. The bill was introduced by uh, Representative Bruce Skog. Yep. I'm assuming I'm pronouncing his name right. Pronunciation well, police will let us know if not. S-K-A-U-G-S. Uh, Bruce, if you're listening, give us a shout-out if we got it wrong. Um, but Skog's bill states that the Department of Corrections officials must determine if lethal injection is available no more than five days after the issues of the death warrant. If not, a firing squad would be used according to proposal. So the, we were talking about this, Mike, before the show. Now, when you get your final death date, if if they're still fighting over uh, selling these chemicals to the state, y'all, it's not that they actually have a shortage. It's that these medical companies realize what these when the state orders this combination of chemicals, they're like, Shit, we don't want to sell that to you because you're going to kill somebody, right? Uh, um, but I, you know, I actually think this is pretty genius. And and, and you get your death warrant signed the, or your death date, if within five days, if they can't secure the chemicals to do it, then they can certainly find a firearm. Wow. But this is likely to go the way these things go, where if he is convicted – he appeals. We've got, yeah, 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 you know, yeah. it's, it's going to go be it's years gonna go before. It's going to go on forever. But the deal is they'll, they'll issue the death warrant a lot of different times. Like if he gets a stay, then they have to issue another uh, death warrant. But you, believe it or not, 
death by firing squad was legal in Idaho until 2009. Do y'all any, any idea when the last one no, well, would have been sometime, sometime like in, two, in the was, country when the last one? Oh was yeah, I can tell one? you, Utah still uses it. And, yeah, and, and, really? And, and listen, it. yeah, what they check this out. Believe it, believe it or not, they strap them um, into. It looks like some Gertie from Bloody Angola, right? But they strap them into a chair. It's not like old Western movies. They put them up on posts and give them a cigarette and blindfold them. But they strap them in a chair, and then behind a wall, I think they have like five rifles with shooters, and four of the five will have live rounds, and one of them doesn't. But you don't know which one doesn't because it still fires like it's a live round. That way the person, the people who are doing the shooting, don't have to feel guilty you know like they're the one that actually kill them the shooters remorse i guess so apparently ronnie lee gardner was the last person to be executed by firing squad in the united states and that was in 2010 in south carolina really? but he chose it right um so he had chosen the method because there would be quote no mistakes a hood was placed over his head and a target strapped to his chest before a five-member team of state law enforcement agents Fire upon yeah, target so, strike. So that's a guy. Chest. That's a guy choosing it. <laughs> right, right. But he or Koberger, well, well, Koberger wouldn't have the choice. No, it would be if if the chemicals weren't available for the lethal injection five days after the issuance of the death warrant. Okay, then automatically he's getting he's getting shot. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to start a production company. We're going to sign a deal with them now to cover it live. Right. And yes. then we're going to work, then we're going to work with pay-per-view. We're going to work with the drug companies to make sure they won't sell <laughs> yeah. that stuff to the state. And we'll, then we'll the we're going to have a hundred million people yes. watch us yes. in slow-mo going back yes. and forth yes. as, you do it back as the bullets you are entering the, the skull. We get, uh, get a camera shot of the bullets coming out with the, with the, smoke coming out of the barrels and the fire coming out of the barrels and then get other camera angles of, the, of this asshole. Hopefully, Coke Burger does get the fire and supplied. And Can we allow the up. family members of the victims to okay. actually be the ones that shoot? The, uh, the, I, well, I, I, I think in Utah, is uh, I don't know how they do it, but I, I, South Carolina, obviously, it's law enforcement. But maybe it's a, a law enforcement in Utah, too, but I always just knew that Utah was like one of the last ones that did it predominantly. Uh, uh, um, huh. But the I don't know the. But what, that would be the ultimate great justice is actually the family members being the ones that shoot, and that would be great. Yeah, right. uh, and all of us being able to watch it happen. Yeah. Well, you know what? That they you know used to have public executions, including. Uh, the the first one by electrocution in the state of Louisiana was right here in Limson Parish, done at the courthouse square. They'd bring a, bring a big truck around with a generator on it, and everybody knew the person was getting killed, and they sold popcorn, and everybody packed the courthouse square. It was a big deal. People came to town, and they fried them up. So I actually think my idea on the death penalty is for it to be effective – as a deterrent, it has to be swift and certain. So no more 20 to 30 years sitting on death row. If you get it, you get convicted. I wish the way that was doing it without 
there being mistakes because I'm not saying that there's never been a mistake made. But if you could do it and you know you do it and you get convicted within three days, your ass is, is going to ride the lightning or get the needle or get shot up, in, like in this case, and then you publicly advertise it. Pay for view that motherfucker. Right? And just give the, give the money to the victim's family. That's great. Right? right? I, I, yeah. and, and that would be a real deterrent. I mean, there's right. no well, way, that's the only way somebody contemplating that kind of crime, watching right, right. a guy convicted of it, getting blown away live by yes. the victim's family. And families. the whole world gets sick. And I actually wouldn't even put a, hit, a, a mask on. So you get the real distorted look in, in their face when they, as the bullets penetrate and that'd be good oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. That I the, see I all the country ready for Vote this, me but. for governor. It's just, uh, I'm on board. No more sponsors. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we just lost. Yeah, yeah. And if you want to sponsor Every Life Real Crime Daily, come on in, sponsors. I'm just telling you what I'm thinking out loud. Oh, shut up. You never know where my brain's Holy yeah. shit. Well, the, We're all uncensored. The, our next story, the... Coburger, fuck him. Our next story, both the locale, uh, which is Hong Kong, so international news here, mm-hmm. and the... Uh, the actual crime, I think, would qualify for uh, the alleged uh, folks here who committed this crime to be uh, to be sentenced in that fashion. So let's uh, let's hope it happens. We're talking about the murder of uh, influencer by the name of Abby Choi, who happened to live in Hong Kong. Her ex-husband and in-laws have been charged. With crimes in connection with her death, so the ex is working with family. his mother and yeah. father. So uh, I don't. Something wasn't right between the in-laws and Abby and uh, and her husband. But I mean, sad story. I mean, she's 28 years old. Uh, this happened in a, a city known as Taipo. I don't know what region of. Uh, I don't even know if they break Hong Kong up into regions. It's not very big, but it's very, very populated. Uh, This is just last week that police entered a rental unit and found human remains that were later identified as choice. Those remains were legs, which were found in a refrigerator inside of that rental unit. Some of her belongings were also, were also found there. Uh, the super, superintendent of the regional police, a guy by the name of Alan Chung, told reporters that not all of Choi's body parts had been discovered. The body parts that we found were inside the refrigerator. There were two legs that belonged to the female, he said. We're still looking for the head. Maybe they should look in buckets. That's uh, that the heads turned to tend to show up in buckets. I don't understand uh, why everybody's cutting everybody up nowadays. There are also other body parts that are missing. So we believe the suspect has already disposed of those other body parts. Well, lo and behold, I don't know what kind of search they did the first time. Police later confirmed that on Sunday, a skull and several ribs had been found in a cooking pot right. in the fridge. That'll make a gumbo. So when they went in the fridge the first time and found the legs and saw this big cooking pot, I guess they thought that they were working on Hong Kong gumbo or something and, and didn't bother to uh, 
to to look in there, and they uh, the skull that they uh, that they found, forensic experts uh, identified a hole in that skull as the uh, as the cause of death, and uh, they also, by the way, found a meat slicer, yes, and an electric saw, yes, uh, on the on the premises, which were believed to have been used in the attempt to dispose of the body. I mean, I have no idea what they were uh, looking at doing with that, uh, with that cooking pot, but I, co- I, oops, sorry. I want to say something about this. I, it, it, I don't know if it's just real life, real crime daily. It seems like we're reporting on body after body, after body being dismembered. And I've had several in, in my career, uh, including one here in LP where a lady brought this, um, transient home and left him at home with her son and she came back in from work and she found the transient her son in the bathroom cutting up the transient right here's the deal you know i'm a big hunter and all that and and i have an art form to how i take care of my meat (laughs) i mean i mean cutting it up and deboning it and all that look that's the fucking process and I got the proper equipment and to hang it and everything else. And these people are cutting up bodies, right? I mean, the in a rental unit. In, in a rental home. unit. But well, then, not only maybe maybe it was in a house where the gumbo pot was. But the, I mean, I, who fucking knows? Maybe it's hard times, and maybe they were hungry. How hungry <laughs> you have to be? I always wonder what human flesh tastes like. I bet it's, it tastes like pork. I bet it doesn't. Boom, Jim. Cut that out. I, I, bet, it, I, bet, I bet it doesn't. I don't want to participate in any of the taste tests that, no. uh, that might go on. But, I don't understand it. Okay, so the guy that she was had been married to, this Alex Kwong was his name. Uh, she was supposedly having financial disputes with him. Mm-hmm. So, so Kwong, his brother, his older brother, Anthony, uh, he was – Kwong was 28. His brother was 31. And his parents, his father uh, – was 65 his mother 63 they're all so his mother she was probably the one cooking up the uh, that lovely so, recipe were all ancient, arrested ancient Chinese secret in connection with the model's death over the weekend and then on Monday the four family members appeared in court where Alex's brother and father were all charged with Choi's murder oh they don't say the mother oh well while his mother was charged with perverting the course of justice perverting the course of justice I don't know so uh Maybe that's she didn't take part in the murder, but she took part in the uh, in the cooking of the uh, how do you of get, the gumbo? How do you have so, one kid named Chong and one named Alex? <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> I don't know. So, so, <laughs> hey, I'm Boom, not making Jim, light of I'm not making light of 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 this girl's murder. It's horrible. These people, idiots. No, so uh, those four were placed in custody without bail, and uh, there's a May eighth uh, uh, hearing that is uh, that is scheduled. What, what's really sad is that uh, this influencer uh, was doing well. She had just been on the cover of uh, a fashion magazine in Monaco, and it seemed that her uh, that her career was on a uh, a steep rise, and and uh, you know, some financial disputes got in the way, and she did a poor job picking in-laws, and it ends in a uh, ridiculous tragedy in Hong Kong. I hate, it. I hate, it. I hate it for her making a joke, 
jokes about it and, and stuff y'all still murder and probably cannibalism um hearts go out to yeah, the, it's the awful. victim's family and these people are idiots all right so everyone it's my favorite part of the show i don't know is this our main story mike today oh this is this is the the story gripping the nation. The nation. And it gripped me pretty good on Friday. Now, we brought this story to y'all over a month ago, and it was before the Netflix series released. So I'd like to think we were kind of ahead of things on that stuff. But I'm going to tell you all a little story. I call this Jim's Netflix story. So sit back and, <laughs> and have a listen. Uh, last week. Hey, can I? Uh, call Drizzly real quick. <laughs> yeah, you can. D R I Z L Look, before we get into Jim's because, Netflix story, let's talk about Drizzly. Hey, uh, so this might take a while. Because oh, guess will. what? Drizzly, D R I Z L Y, is the number one downloaded app and home alcohol delivery service. Okay? Yep, y'all heard him so right. I'm about to place my order right now on the app, mm-hmm. and we'll have. I know Mike likes tequila, and you and I'll have yeah, some Shiner Box. Yeah, we'll have some we cold beers waiting on us on the doorstep by the time you get done with this. That's right. That's right. Love, uh, love you, that. you can actually go and, and order through the Drizzly app, y'all, and it's like an hour. This is the best thing ever. Alcohol <laughs> delivery. No, I mean, well, I mean, it's, un, it's, under, it's under an hour. But look, yeah. when, you're, when you are, as you must have been, Jim, from the way you replayed it, as absolutely involved in a show as you were the Netflix Murdoch series. You are not getting up from that couch. Let me tell you my Netflix story. So uh, Tuesday night, you know, I do what I do every Tuesday night, which is research, research, research uh, for Real Life Real Crime Daily. And uh, as I'm doing that, reading some things that Mike had sent me, it started to get late. It was about 1030 at night. I pull up the Netflix app. I'm about to, the way I relax is I put those AirPods in and, and uh, I literally just lay in the bed and, and watch my cell phone until I fall asleep. Um, so I've got Netflix on and boom, right there on the front page of Netflix, I see Murdoch, uh dead center. And I said, Oh, Ooh, the series is out. Right. So I click it. And I'm thinking, you know, I'll watch it for for an hour, watch one episode. Y'all, the next thing I know, it's 3 o'clock in the morning. I've read 200 articles on the on the Internet after watching that entire series. It is so good, so uh, well done. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about it now. The series, if if you haven't had a chance to go watch it on Netflix. Well, they, well, they, had, homework they had homework. That's, they had homework last week to watch. It. Yeah, they did. Yeah, they so, did. But if you're like way over to you, know, everybody, in your life. That's right. And yeah. I mean, some people get busy, so maybe they didn't. So I'm just going to give them a, a few little uh, antidotes on that on that series. Now it it focused a little bit on the hit and run death of Stephen Smith, the nineteen year old we told you about. Uh, it provided a little bit of focus on the accident with Gloria Satterfield uh, in two thousand eighteen, but primarily the accident. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> okay. But, prim- going, sorry. <laughs> but primarily, it focused on the 2019 boating accident that killed 19-year-old Mallory Beach. And it really included, y'all, and this is kind of my favorite part, it put a face on the victim. 
that was a big deal to me because I hadn't heard a whole lot from the victims. I knew all about Alec Murdoch, but I did not know anything about the victims other than just sporadic reports. I'm going to tell you one that really touched me. Totally legit. Um, Mallory Beach's father was in that uh, in that series several times. They were interviewing him. Very soft-spoken man. You could tell he's a very Christian man. Um, I almost uh, – he almost had me in tears every time he came on to discuss something because what do we do as human beings? We relate this to us as fathers, if you're father. And I have two, you know, I have twin girls that are very, very close in age to Miss Mallory. My son is actually the same age as Mallory Beach was. And I put myself in that position. I'm like, what would I have done in that in that instance? And this man handled it, I thought, with class. I I thought, you know, he was a stronger person probably than I was. Uh I don't know how he did it, but he came he came off just as as I thought he would be and that was just a grieving father who was searching for answers and couldn't make sense of what happened. Even at one point questioning his faith um and saying, you know, I, I couldn't make sense of why God would do this to me. Right. And um loved loved absolutely loved his uh his daughter as as you would think. And it even showed some old older home videos where her and him were palling around, you know, and, and doing things that fathers and daughters do. Uh, just a an amazing and no surprise series put out by Netflix. Their documentaries to me are, are second to none. And it did not disappoint. One of the best documentaries I've probably ever seen. Yeah, it's definitely. Uh, I, I binged the whole thing also. Well, a cu- couple of things that really – stuck out to to me uh, first is what an absolute entitled brat Paul was not saying he deserved to have his brains blown out, but um, the way he treated Morgan Dowdy, his girlfriend at the time. uh, I mean, literally the night of the boat incident slapping her uh, in the face. I mean, this was not a good kid, but the, the other thing was the absolute gall of the Murdoch clan. And I'd say clan because it wasn't just Alex, Alec. Uh, it was his father as well in the aftermath of the incident going to the family of Connor Cook, Paul's good friend, and trying to get them to assert that it was Connor who was driving the boat and basically saying, look, our family's, you know, more yeah, important. We'll take, and, uh, we'll take care of you, but you need to step up and take blame. I mean, I can't, I can't believe in the aftermath of something like that. The absolute just nerve well, of uh, of people to believe they're, you know, they're so superior and their needs are so superior to anyone else's that they would even ask. Yeah, in that it was kind of situation. It, it was, uh, as Woody just said, a sense of entitlement. This family has Learned has been the family in six counties forever, you know, and and uh, just basically saw no problem with that. Untouchable. Line. Untouchable. Um, we so, can make it go away. Yeah, exactly. So 
after I watched the series, the you know, I, the following day, uh, obviously, I, I talked to my compadres here about it, and we were all fired up. Uh, but I got really engrossed in the trial, and I was kind of glad that I wasn't as engrossed prior to the to the uh, Netflix series in the actual trial, which is I was able to kind of Netflix and binge on the trial. I went back, watched every single witness and look y'all, some of these witnesses are up there for three and four hours. Some even longer. As a matter of fact, Alec Murdoch took the stand uh, really surprisingly to a lot of people. And he was on the stand for two days. And, uh, and so we're going to talk about that a little bit. Um, I'll give you my impression and then please guys feel free to chime in with yours. But uh, my predisposition on Alec Murdaugh was not the way he came off in the courtroom, knowing, you know, all the financial horrible things he did, which are bad enough. I'm not going to, you know, stay, not even including the fact that he's on trial for the murder of his wife and son, the financial just shit that this guy did to his friends yeah. and people that he represented was absolute horrible. So yeah. before he took the stand, my my deal was this guy's going to get on the stand and, and you know, I'm going to do just what I think I'm going to do, which is absolutely hate him. Let me tell you all something. This guy knew his way around a courtroom. I can see how he was able to financially steal from people for as long as he did because he was an extremely likable personality, master, not a likable guy. Master manipulator. And there's a difference. He was a master manipulator. He was a guy that if you didn't know all his background, you'd want to go have a beer with him. Gifted con artist. hundred percent. Very smart. Uh, and really knew how to appeal to the jury. And that's exactly what he was doing. The way he would answer questions, you know, what a you're a you're a polygraphist. That's what you uh, you know you are known for outside of your homicide work. And uh, there were a lot of signs of him that just from my limited education on that, I could tell were things that you don't do when you're telling the truth. You he would ask a lot of questions right, back. Right, right. That that's the delay tactic, so you can think about your answer for. Give it. Yeah, I no I noticed on every single answer the or the majority of the the answers that he would give, the attorney would ask a question like he would say, uh, you know, you arrived at the house at nine forty five and he would look at the attorney and he would say, Are you asking me if I would arrive at the house at nine forty five? Yes, total I would. Delay tactic. Yeah. yeah. Total delay tactic. It's letting his mind catch right, up with his right, lie, right? Exactly. Because the one thing that never changes is the truth. Yep. Right. And everything. God knows this dude's changed his story enough. Oh, God. Uh, yeah. All the different incidents. A hundred percent. And, you know, one of the things I, I've just learned from my research was that when you're telling the truth, it's pretty much yes, no. You right, answer the right. question directly. Yeah, There's no delay. Any, you don't have to say anything else, right? Right. So I found that very interesting. But still in all, he would look at the jury when he would address and, and, and things. that's courtroom profession, right? Or um, expertise. And I was trained that by Chief Kearney Foster early on. Every time they ask me a question, don't answer them. Turn to the jury and make eye contact and answer them. That's establishing a personal connection between me and jurors, making them love Woody. 
I'm glad, and I'm glad you brought that up, Woody, because he did indeed make a couple of personal connections. Matter of fact, at one point, uh, he was, you know, upset about, you know, visibly upset about the murders of his wife and child, or at least that's how he was playing it. Um, A juror actually passed him Kleenex. Yeah, that's that's not good if you're the prosecution. Like an order for a mistrial. Yeah, that's not good if you. But that tells you how he was um, uh, a master at just communicating with this jury and almost making them feel sorry for him. Look, at one point I noticed he mentioned, you know, they asked what he was doing at a certain point, and he said, well, I got in my truck and I had a dip and I went to the house. He said that because that's, these are South Car- well, Carolinians. He's, he's wanting to relate. Somebody, hey. He's hoping some dude on that jury, and possibly a female, some, some person on that jury <laughs> saying, yeah, I get a dip when I get in my yeah. truck, too. And he's yeah. just like me. Right? Surprise one didn't pass him a dip right. can. Say, right. here, you want one? Yeah. Here's some skull. But he uh, he definitely knew how to uh, communicate with them. And look, when you've got a, a six-generation history of of lawyering for lack of a better term, you're going to know some stuff. Yep. Uh, Woody Everton. Yep. I know how. Probably got a 12 generation. Yeah. But I mean, you know, master on the stand, no doubt about it. You see all the comments everybody's making and, and even some people, I won't say who, think he he's going to beat the charge or or maybe not he didn't do it alone <laughs> etc but the um the my thought when he took the stand is uh, it's going to be a fuck up but he actually shows his genius and his manip- uh, manipulation skills and you can see why he got away with all this shit over the years yeah and even that now he admits to all these things because because prosecution is going to get all the past bad acts in, so he cuts them all, steals the sting from them. Yep, I did it. I did it. I did that. I did that. I did that. I did. Even admitting to the point where he says I was at the dog kennels, you know. And I'm I'm sure I get in the head, but the deal. My point being is very well played. Yeah, it was very well played. And let me tell you, there's a, a couple of things that I want to highlight here, and one of them is. I personally felt like the prosecution has spent far, far, far too much time focusing on the financial crimes that he committed. I think it's important. It's too much time after he fucking admits to it. Yeah. And and why you, he, he already admitted to it. Why are you wasting the jury's time? And then, you know, he's not on trial for that. Right. Right. And, but, and then everything you, one guy gets up and testifies for two fucking hours about financial crimes. He's already admitted to. He's already. If admitted I'm on the to. jury. I'm like, fuck that. Get this. I mean, let's roll with it. Right. And there's one in particular that I want to bring up here, and then I'm, we're going to play a clip of his actual testimony talking about this and admitting to it. But he had a best friend. His best friend in life was a guy named Chris Wilson, and Chris Wilson had known uh, Murdoch for 30-plus years, and they were thick as thieves. They talked almost every day on the, on the telephone just to shoot the breeze, you know, uh, like you would with your best friend. So Chris Wilson uh, had an issue, and that was he worked a case 
with uh, with Murdoch, and this is common where uh, you'll team up with another law firm and you'll work a case kind of together. And when that settlement is determined, the the lead attorney on that case will write a check to the law firm that he worked with on that case, not the lawyer, the law firm. At the end of the year, that law firm then almost like a bonus will pay that attorney that was directly involved. So uh, this was like no other. They had a case. It was a five point five million dollar judgment, I believe. And uh, and out of that, uh, Murdahl's law firm was due eight hundred. I believe it was eight hundred or seven hundred ninety two thousand dollars. So no problem. This lawyer gets paid. And in the meantime, Alec Murdahl calls him and he says, look, just go ahead and write that check out to me. You don't need to write it to the, the law firm. Uh, I told them I'm going to go ahead and take it as an advance now rather than wait to the end of the year. Mm-hmm. And it, and so this lawyer, who is, keep in mind, his best friend in the world, he had no reason to question it. He said, you talked to the partners about it? Yeah, I talked to them. They're good with it. He believes him. It's his right. best friend. So he writes a check to Alec Murdoch for $792,000. Uh, Murdoch takes the check. And time passes, and a month later, the law firm contacts uh, this lawyer, Chris Wilson, and they say, hey, uh, have you got paid out yet for that where's my check? judgment? Yeah, where's our check? And he said, oh, well, I wrote it to Alec. Yeah. You did what? I wrote it to Alec. He told me that he had communicated with y'all. He was going to go ahead and take that as an advance. And they knew nothing about it, obviously. And that's what kind of spurred their investigation of all this missing money. And it's millions and millions, y'all. But uh, long story short, in the meantime, he calls Alec and he says, hey, man, uh, look, that law firm, your law firm is contacting me, asking why they didn't get written that money. And they want me to go ahead and write them a check for all of that. And I, you know, it's almost a million dollars. And Alex says, I'm going to pay you. So he sends him a wire and that wire is for 600,000. He gets the wire and he calls him and he says, man, I appreciate the speed on that, but it was 792,000, not 692,000 short. Yeah. So Murdoch says, oh, I don't have the 192. It, It might be a couple of weeks. So he accepts this and he says, okay. And he takes his personal money and he writes a check out of his personal bank account for $192,000 and puts it in that trust so that he can go ahead and write the check to the law firm because he trusted his best friend. That was a mistake because yeah. guess what? He never got, got that. This is your best friend in right. the world. Yeah. And he just screwed you out of two hundred grand. I don't care how much money you got. Right. That's a lot of money. Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, I mean or for the course of the guy that kills his son and his wife. It's a, it's really is. So the defense decided that all of these financial crimes could be bucketed under his opioid addiction. So all of those things could be blamed on. The fact that he had become this out of control opioid addict, mm-hmm. right? So they're separating. Yeah, that was the spin. They were they're separating kind of everything uh, from that. 
And I thought he did a masterful job of, uh, and obviously this was the plan. Hey, get up there. Don't say a bad word about anybody. Don't implicate anyone else, whether you had co-conspirators and some of this. So he comes there and says, you know, Lafitte, the banker. No, he never, you know, never did a thing. This was all me, 100% me. It's, it was my opioid addiction. That's what drove this, you know, so he's, he's trying to get the jury. And I think he was pretty successful at this looking at him as a drug addict instead of looking at him as a murderer. I thought it was I thought it was masterful and look the the chances of someone in the jury having a family member that might have been a drug addict at one point oh, are probably yeah. pretty Absolutely. high. Yeah. So what are they relating that to? Oh, my son or my my nephew also struggled with opiates and and it's such a horrible thing and yeah. And they're watching him refuse to bail on anyone else, which is could be viewed as noble. Right. He's he's not loyal. He's not tearing anybody else down with him. So, you know, he he told all these lies. But he told all these lies because he's an addict and he had to fund his addiction and he blames it all on himself, not some of the other people who took part in things. And so I I believe he did a very good job of building up sympathy for Alex Murdoch, the drug addict. Instead of building, allowing the the prosecution to build animus against Alex Murdoch, the accused murderer. I would I, agree I, with that. I thought 100%. he did a great job of doing that. I would agree. I agree a hundred percent. And to Woody's point, you know the the prosecution just kept hammering that financial stuff, and it was almost like they got in a pissing match with him. There was one point where the prosecution prosecutor was bringing up every single, you know, 90 different cases that he's worked and stolen money. And he would look at that prosecutor and he would say the exact same. It was no different than the Chris Christie with the memorized 30 second speech of Marco Rubio, where uh, this guy was apparent he had memorized this response because every time he would ask him. He'd look at the jury, not at the prosecutor, and he would say, I stole the money. I was wrong for doing it. I feel awful. It was terrible. And that would kind of be his four responses every single time. And the prosecutor would not stop asking him about it. And he's visibly, the prosecutor, getting agitated. Yes. And so the jury is looking at a prosecution team that appears angry, agitated, and they're looking at a defense that seems calm and an accused uh, 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 murderer on the stand who, you know, is coming off like a bereaved uh, uh, father. It was a horrible fail on the prosecution's point. Their whole point of that scenario was to try to get a rise out of Murdoch. Murdoch got the rise out of them. That's that's right, and he was winning those battles. And as a prosecutor, you are you're getting frustrated, and and he was visibly disheveled, y'all. I mean, he was almost to the point of yelling at Murdaugh at one at, at one instance. Um, it was it was really a bad light for them. I think the prosecution, for lack of a better term, is just getting their asses kicked. Yeah, to, by to Murdoch. me, honestly, to go back and to the OJ trial, I. 
I equate the prosecution beating that dead horse to OJ trying on the glove. A hundred percent. They should have yes. known when he admitted to the first time what he was doing and, and leave that bitch alone. I, I agree. And, and just two more quick thoughts on that. And the, as far as strategy, one of the things that the uh, defense is doing or uh, definitely school, I don't know if they had to school murder on it. He probably schooled them on this, but uh, he had pet names kind of for a lot of just about everybody he knew uh, his wife mags. His son was called Pawpaw. That was the the uh, the the son that died uh, was killed. Was called Pawpaw. Well, did he really call Paul Pawpaw? Uh, you know, there were a few times where he would refer to him as Paul in the trial and before the trial. The prosecution did do a good job of saying, "Why are you calling him Pawpaw now?" But Every time we've asked you about it prior to this, you only referred to him as Paul. But he had a great answer to that. This was the genius in what he was doing. He looked right back at the prosecutor and he said, if it make you more comfortable for me to call him Paul, I'll call him Paul. That, that, that's no, a great he, answer he for that. Right. He never answered the question. He just looked at it and said, hey, right. if, if you'd like it, that is how, uh, uh, you know, I hate to say it, but just how good this guy was on the stand. Um, and the prosecution had another bullet they got dealt uh, more recently in the last few days, and that was the forensic engineers for the defense, the ones the defense called to the stand. These these folks, number one, were highly qualified, highly qualified, and they testified for both defense and prosecution in different cases. Um, but this put a little bit of reasonable doubt in my mind when they spoke. One of them's name was Mike Sutton, and Mike Sutton was a, basically a forensic engineer who could base everything as far as trajectory of bullets on height. Now, Alec Murdaugh, we haven't told you yet, but he's 6'4". He's very tall. Um, this forensic engineer had determined the only way that uh, the a shooter could have made that shot, uh, basing every all, all the trajectory of the bullet and all those sort of things, and the the gun. You know, these were long rifles. Was if they were five foot four or shorter from that distance. Um, so I want to ask Woody, and I want to talk to you about this because of your experience, obviously. Um, how big a role does trajectory of bullets play? And, and it does, but here's the thing: if the prosecution's smart. They'll say that for their closing, and we didn't talk about this early because I wanted to save it for you. Yeah. So that's a foot less than what he is, right? Yeah. Drop to the knee, motherfucker. They did kind of get into uh, different shooting positions. He he even broke it down to shooting from the hip, right. and if he shot from the hip, the problem was. The issue was the quarters inside of that kennel where Paul was shot with a long rifle, you only had so much space to move. In order for that bullet to have hit the body where it hit the body, um, and we're not talking about the mother yet, where it hit the body, you would have had to have been really, really close and I'm talking inches from each other, mm -hmm. 
And he made another point that you would have had blood. You would have been covered in it. And you would have also had bone fragment or bullet fragment. You basically would have shot yourself. It's called blowback. Yes. Yeah. That was the term he used. And, and so even if they could have found the weapon, uh, you find blowback inside the barrel. It comes back with such force. It's a reverse explosion. You'll find brain matter and bone and blood inside the barrel of the weapon. Now, back to it, and I, I'd be very surprised if they don't come back to this about the change in the clothes and all that. The there's nothing to say that these long rifles didn't have the barrels cut down. Also, the AR-15 that he used that particular model was a was a cut off barrel, but that was used that, to that shoot used the mother out yeah. the outside of the kennel. The shotgun was used on the inside. Now you're right; it could have been a sawed off, sawed off shotgun. And, and and what if he's you know on a knee? Uses a saw shotgun and I think the the I thought I want to say they talked a little bit about that and they, the spread pattern of yeah. the of the pellets when they came out. Right. It never spread. So but because it was a contact wound. Yeah. Which doesn't mean he didn't have a sawed off shotgun. I swim has a couple. <laughs> it's the, someone who isn't me. Right. And one of them has a pistol grip on it and everything. Highly illegal. Uh, uh, and if I nail down, you come to the door and I put it back your head and blow it. One of the things you're going to do is you're going to cut on down with some of the blowback on you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Contact wound, et cetera. And it, it could be explained away. Well, and, Firearms never do what you expect them to do when it comes to forensics. Well, at the at the end of the day, both of these forensic engineers who, as I say, highly qualified, these guys were were educators uh, in a lot of cases, um, said there had to be in their in their opinion, there is very little doubt in their mind. There were not two shooters. Mr. Palmback, do you have an opinion um, based upon a uh, more probably than not, and whether there was one or two shooters who mur murdered Maggie and Paul on the night of June 7th. I did have an opinion on that. And what's your opinion? Uh, my opinion is the totality of the evidence is more suggestive of a two-shooter scenario. Very little they, doubt. They're convinced that there were. Yes, yes, yeah. but you can never say with 100% certainty. Uh, unless you find another shooter, but uh, in there, you know, the, I would say high nineties percent chance there were two shooters. It's and good. these guys' expert opinion, it's going to be a, another screw up on the, on the prosecution's part because they were so sure of their case, like I was also. That when you submit your list of potential witnesses, all right, so you get to depose them, you get to, uh, or you get to find out what they're going to say. But what they do is they'll submit, instead of just say if they're going to use 10 witnesses, they know who they're going to use. They'll, they'll submit a list of 200 people. Mm -hmm. So you don't have time to go through. If you don't do your due diligence, if you're all cocky and you think, oh, well, I got this motherfucker, no matter what, right? So these expert witnesses, you know they're firearms experts. What are they going to say, right? I mean, they should have done their homework on that. They should have been prepared to counter, you know, kneeling or sawed-off shotgun or whatever. Yeah, and and uh, they're getting their ass kicked prosecution-wise, uh, you know, but by him taking the stand. Until then, 
you could have got a rope. There's no doubt about it. Him taking the stand totally, in my opinion, switched the whole trajectory of this case. Doesn't mean he's innocent. I was just saying they right. they, they outplayed him. Well, if you're if you're a a juror mm. and you accept the two shooter theory, mm-hmm. how does that now well, impact? If I'm the prosecutor, I'm I'm doing my closing. I'm saying, you know what? Even if you accept their two-shooter theory, I submit to you that we prove one of them was Murdoch. Doesn't matter who the other one was. Murdoch is still guilty. See what I'm saying? Well, that's what I thought you would say, except, I mean, it it tremendously weakens. Oh, it certainly didn't. To the extent the jury believes the two shooter thing yeah. it tremendously weakens the prosecution's case right, right? well well it creates reasonable doubt. It, it, it creates reasonable doubt that more than one person did it doesn't create reasonable doubt that Murdoch didn't do it i'm fucking well, if, if you weren't to he, he they, they did a masterful job i give him that at the end of the day he changes story so much. Everything is going. They're going to say this in their summation. He changes story about everything. We're telling you, he changes story about this too, like being at the kennels, right? And he lied about everything. Uh, why? Why wouldn't he be lying on the stand about this? He told the truth on the stand well, about why, everything. Why, why wouldn't right? he? I, be, why? I as a juror, I think, yeah, but you know he. He didn't bail on anybody. The, okay, let, okay. He didn't try to let lie me, about his financial crimes. Let's go, let's go back to the expert testimony, right? That, if, if it's proven, all other than the height thing, the height thing can be explained away. But, hey, guess what? If that, okay, so I'm a juror and I believe, yep, person must have been five foot four or whatever, how tall, then that gives us the theory, and that defense is really going to drive that home in the closings. It gives us a theory that there was a second shooter there. It still doesn't take away the, okay. the fact that they prove that Murdoch well, was there. Wh- which one of them did he kill? It doesn't matter. Well, wait, but doesn't no. matter. But I, again, I'm ju- I'm the jury. I buy the two shooter scenario. Doesn't you're, matter. You're charging it, it, this guy it, it, with it, both. You, no, but he's charged with both. Yeah, but if if you're there, if you're there, and they they have in mind that yeah, he killed he killed at least one of them, and he brought somebody else in, he's just as guilty for one as he is of. But that's not what he's charged with, though, right? He's charged with the double murder, and so it doesn't matter it, if you and I go rob a bank today, and you, you sit in the car, I go in and rob the bank and come out, you're just as guilty as me. You see what I'm saying? The, well, if, but if you shoot someone in the bank and kill them, does no? You get the murder charge. It's I the get same. the murder charge. Absolutely, I'm, I'm the absolutely I'm principle the, two murder is the same thing as murder. Same thing. Well, if he hired him, if he hired him to murder him, he gets the same charge. Here's 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 the That's thing the though fact, when you when you read a verdict, okay, OJ Simpson case, we just covered that. Uh, when they stood up, they said Orenthal James Simpson and not guilty of the crime of murder against Nicole Brown Simpson, a human being. Orenthal James Simpson, not guilty of the crime of murder against Ronald. Uh, yeah, a human being. So 
what do you say in this case if you don't know which one he killed? That's the problem. Do you just say? I understand what y'all are saying, but if they've proven beyond a reasonable doubt that he killed at least one of them, yeah, then 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 he's going to at least get principal to the other one because he was still there. It's the same charge. We should bet a whole nother okay. pack of beer on this verdict. I think there's going to be a lot of Drizzly's jury. Sorry, here. <laughs> I, think, I think there's going to be a lot of jury confusion yeah. about that. But, but hey, you wait and see. You like to watch the trial? Wait and see. You see a judge give charge. They call it charge in a jury. It takes four fucking ever, and all this is going to be covered. They, they go over they, the rule of the law. Both of the uh, these forensic experts believed that Paul was shot first. Yes. Correct? Yes. There's a, yes. Okay. So, and that Maggie's position was that she was going towards the shooter. She was going towards. Well, shooter. she was going towards. Yes. She was going towards the shooter. Now the theory is she heard the shot. She wasn't in the vicinity. She was around the building by that point. Heard the shot, went, you know, what is that? She runs as a mother. What is that? What happened? She runs back, and Paul at this point is outside of the of the uh, kennel. She sees Paul on the ground, and more or less is she doesn't care about the shooter. She's running to render aid to her son. The shooter's just basically in front of the son. She doesn't care about the son. If... if uh, I don't even want to give that scenario in my family, but if someone gets shot and it's and it's uh, someone I'm close to, I'm probably just beelining it. I'm I'm wearing blinders. That that shooter means nothing to me anymore. Maybe maybe, maybe I'm not afraid of the shooter. Well, that was a thought I had. Maybe maybe maybe. Why I'm, would you not be? Because I'm in it with the shooter. Oh, oh God. <laughs> not look. That's ins- okay. So insane. It, g- going back to the Netflix, and it's a Netflix special, but it's with the actual people. And one thing that came to me clearly through the Netflix thing was that basically Paul was sort of the black sheep, and Paul was basically raised by uh, uh, Gloria Satterfield. Mm-hmm. That his mom was kind of absent. All of these things that have come out about 2015 Smith murder excuse me, the Smith situation uh, about uh, Satterfield don't come out necessarily unless Paul screws up and drives like a drunken idiot a boat into a bridge, which is, by the way, pretty freaking hard to do. I don't care what your blood alcohol level is. Driving a boat is like driving a car in a parking lot and in an empty parking lot. And hitting a stanchion of a bridge is a pretty damn hard thing to do. It's nighttime. I know it was nighttime, but they don't they don't have lights on. Bridges don't have lights Not on underneath. No. You, you can't. Yeah, I, I would agree I with a, Woody. Did a lot of boat driving at night with bridges, yeah. but you know, whatever. Long Island Sound and you know, the Great Long South Island Bay, Island I guess, had better they got, they got, better lighting. You, you but, got. You got uh, commercial shipping. This is yeah. This is this a podunk town. Okay, let's, let's stay with my my primary right, point here, right. which is I didn't see a lot of examples of super deep love between the mother and Paul. Uh, and I'm just I'm just saying, hey, people, we're here to throw out theories, right? So if these experts are saying there are two people, what are the combinations of two people there could be? There's Buster, possibly, right? There's maybe one of his brothers. I guess that's 
possible. And but but just consider for a second the difficulty of pulling off this two gun scenario that both of these guys talked about, mm-hmm. right? So one way that can be pulled off is if Maggie thinks she's in on it. She's there. Then why with, are you running towards the shooter? Because I'm not afraid of the shooter. But why are you running toward you just you just committed the murder. You're walking away. You're with the shooter. You're but not. You, your son was shot. I mean, you might want to. Uh, not if you wanted to kill him. I mean, uh, you're standing right by me. Um, well, are you standing right? You're not standing right by me because I'm, I'm. I was right. Him. That's that's my point though. If they if they were in cahoots, she's not going to be as far away as she was from the kennel and be running back towards. She's she's going to be just waiting there outside. The, or why would she even be there? Well, we don't know she was running. Oh, yeah. They know she was running. They know. They they can tell. Go back and watch. They can, they can tell from her movements and everything where she was and where she ended up. Okay. And, it, and it is a distance. Okay, but let's yeah. say she's running. So he goes in to do what he was supposed to do. She didn't want to watch it. He does it. Now she comes running because she wants to see But why scene. would she even be at the kennel? If it was planned, why would she not stay at the house if she didn't want to see it? It doesn't make sense. Unless he wanted her there. To, to well, he definitely, wa- he definitely wanted her there. And he could have given her some other, hey, if something goes bad and he runs out of the kennel and you've got to be there to then, uh, to then shoot him. Well, then come- y'all ready for this bomb? Because this will, this will, uh, this is the bomb. They found DNA under her fingernails. It doesn't match Murdoch, and it doesn't match Paul. It doesn't match any anybody that they've identified. But it's under her fingernails. Let me tell you what y'all have just done, listeners. If you could be a fly on the wall inside that jury room, you just heard the same arguments the jurors are going to be throwing at each other. Hundred percent. And and look, I, I don't believe Mike's theory. <laughs> I, I just have not seen any evidence of that. Mike's not but, saying Mike believes Mike's theory. Right. <laughs> I'm just I'm just throwing stuff out there for the exact reason that Woody just said. What are yeah. they? What are the jurors likely to be talking about? As long as their scenarios all include Alex being there, I guess it's fine. But uh, they could also start contemplating scenarios where, you know, Alex isn't there at all. It's a really unfortunate thing that he lied about being there minutes earlier. And, uh, uh, but there was, there was time for him to leave and they've get, and look, the, the thing that I, that I think will be in the back of all of these people's heads is he's going away anyway. He's going away for these other crimes, yeah. and so but so they, if they we if we made a mis- if if we make a mistake here, it's not like he's getting out anyway. Exactly, but you did not see there, uh, did not sit there, and you were not submitted to what I can only imagine the head being blown off and you know, the dead bodies. Those jurors are going to want somebody to pay for it. They are, and and 
Well, since well, a, a jury saw Nicole Brown Simpson's uh, yeah, head yeah, look like a yeah, Pez dispenser the, and uh, had no problem I, with Yeah, it. but you also had Peckerhead using, you know, lying on the stand, which totally invalidated and, his testimony, everything from the evidence collection, whatever, saying he didn't use the N-word, he used the N-word, and this and that and the water. This one, y'all, this is going to be the next to the last Probably the next last episode we'll cover on this because the next one's going to be guilty or not guilty. Oh, it's coming! But, it's coming this week. Okay, yeah. but you think? Okay, let me let me ask you guys something. Have you ever watched a movie or a, a, a TV program given from the perspective of the bad guy and rooted for the bad guy? Yeah, but I'm not rooting for Murdoch. Okay, okay, so. so if somebody truly I'm came, for if, if somebody truly came into this thing neutral. And just watched. Mm-hmm. He he won that he won the battle of who was more likable in just this. Excuse me, in 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 just for forget no everything doubt, else. No doubt he won that. He won the likability battle. Yeah, right, right? Said that. Yeah. Okay, so that's a big emotional pull on a juror who's watching all of this unfold in front of him like we would watching a TV show. The prosecution got, uh, you know, lost their, uh, lost their cool at times, did not, you know, did not come off uh, as they wanted to, did not come off as if they were in control and, and the defense did a better job. And so uh, if they're sitting there and they have that kind of an emotional uh, pull and they have this, this backstop of, even if we get it wrong, on the chance we got it wrong, this guy's still going away for a really long time. I don't know. I think that. I and think they might that, come back and think um, maybe if he got out of this one, he can get out of those too. But I hate to do this, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and lay it out now because I know where y'all are leaning. Is the Shiner Bach uh, is coming out right now? Absolutely. I'm, I'm laying in a case Shinerbach says he is guilty, found guilty in the court law. I'm laying it on Shinerbach. He is found not guilty. All right, so we're two, we're two so we got one. another. And by bet. the way, Jim Chapman paid his Super Bowl debt today. Yes, I did. And, and you can find that picture on Facebook. I'm going to post it. The um, what, what would have to happen for a mistrial? Uh, one jury, jury one. Oh no, that's that's a hung jury. That's oh, a okay. Well, yeah, you have to call it a mistrial too. But yeah, that one person. Um, All it takes is one. Yeah, but you better believe they're gonna come go back over and over and over again. They're gonna have to come back and say they're deadlocked like five or six times before the judge declares a mistrial. Last thing, last thing on this for me. That'd and be the worst the thing one, that ever happened this to Murdoch. He better get he better get not guilty because if he gets a mistrial, the prosecution will get it right next time. Yeah, and last thing for me, and I want to make it clear, uh, I think Murdoch's a total piece of shit. My my only point to all of this is you I don't feel like the prosecution has proved to me beyond reasonable doubt that he did it. Uh, uh murder, I mean. Um that being said. There's one thing missing from the case that, in my opinion, the prosecution has struggled to prove, and that was the one thing you look for in any murder, no matter who it is. Motive. Right. What was the motive? Because if they're gone, he didn't spend money on them anymore. And would 
Did they ever say if they had life I, insurance policy on the wife and the son? I don't. I don't think there was. I don't think there was a. Insurance how the, how the hell you take one out of yourself and try to get your buddy to shoot or somebody to shoot you and and don't survive or I mean you survive it, it, and you don't have it on your wife. It, you had it on your fucking housekeeper. Well, but, you had but, four million dollars on the house. But might have had some wife. Well, well, no, he had uh, not. He didn't have life insurance. He had uh, yeah homeowners. Well, shit, it's still which that he, property. Which he took the same out thing. a month before the incident. Well, he's right. got which homeowners. Is something I would have harped on. Strong. He's got property insurance. I can assure you. Well. Yeah. But if Paul's not alive, then uh, as far as the uh, wrongful death. That goes away, too. That's a big that be, yeah. Right. So, you know, and. Well, that's that's a good point. Right. Yeah. I, di- I didn't think about that. But that but he was open for a lawsuit because Paul, even though Paul was the one that did the boat wreck, he was also being sued. Absolutely. They got, yes. They're going to see that. It was his the, boat. Deep pockets. All right. Well, it wouldn't be a criminal case. It would be civil. And uh, and you don't have. The burden of proof is much less than that. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Well, but, they haven't harped on it enough to me. The motive. Well, I, 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 I think they got so convoluted. Uh, with the financial. Was before with yeah. the financial. A lot of which I think would be difficult for some of these jurors to to understand and it's the kind of stuff where you can get bored and your mind can wander and they can tell jurors what they want to tell jurors about, you know, their responsibilities to concentrate. Like I've seen jurors fall asleep. And, and, Dude, uh, I would have been engrossed in everywhere. I'm, I'm watching it like I'm a juror. Right. <laughs> well, so let, let's talk about the jury a for a second. Because this, I haven't heard much about this in the reporting unless I missed it. Uh, but I looked it up cause I didn't know. So this jury is, Four white men, six white women, two black women. So eight women, four men. All of the men are are white, and uh, six of the women are white. Two of the women are black. Uh, it's white on white crime. Yeah, I don't so think. I don't think there the, shouldn't be a racial piece. I don't think there is to this. Um, we know about from all these financial crimes. We know about the the massive amount of influence and um, corruption over time that this family, particularly Alex, has committed. What are the chances that somebody's gotten to somebody? What are the what are the chances that there's sympathy or uh, loyalty at work? somewhere in here because we know this family had really deep tentacles that, and obviously they went through an extensive uh, uh, jury selection process and, and, and hopefully, uh, you know, we're able to call out anything like that. But uh, I mean, any thoughts, any of you have about the jury structure and whether that, I think, I think the, the women being the predominant, side of that uh two two-thirds of that jury or female actually in my opinion plays probably in Murdoch's favor and i would say that because i i think that a lot of those women are looking at this number one he's charming number two uh it's the mother it's almost like a motherly role in in Murdoch, and I think that a, a, a 
I think females in general would really struggle with someone being able to kill their own kids. Yeah. In their who, own, who in handed their own them the, the Kleenex? Uh, it was a juror. They didn't. They, they didn't show they you. Didn't which, specify. Which no. The. Um, I guarantee it wasn't a guy. <laughs> I can't I, see a dude handed him clean I, I have a but, different opinion you know. on jury makeups than y'all do, obviously, um, from what I've done. And that being that during Boisdier, each side gets the same amount of strikes. The judge can excuse anybody for cause. And they got the best jury that they thought that they could get on their side. So I, for me, the male-female part doesn't play anything to it. Probably more, if anything does, it's education level. And they ask you all that. The education level, have you have family ever been a victim of crime? Do you have any kids and whatever? But as far as the male-female, and even in this case, the the white-black ratio thing, I mean, other than the housekeeper who obviously was murdered, I, I, I don't see it. Very good. This is my view. All right. Well, my uh, is to be in on this vote. Um, I'm uh, I'm going to say they come back not guilty. Okay, so that's two. Uh, well, what are you drinking, Don Julio or something? <laughs> Don <laughs> Julio. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Very good. It's uh, no, I do the uh, the Rouse's House brand. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Seriously. Oh, because no, you forgot to, to tell me. It doesn't have to be tequila. I can drink. Our, our, I, our I'm drizzly fine order is already here. We forgot. I, I, uh, Mike, I just hung you out in the order. You uh, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> I'm good on the shiners. That's fine. All right. So we're going to have some from Drizzly as soon as we wrap, wrap up this show. Y'all, that's Drizzly, D-R-I-Z-L-Y. Dot com. Or dot, yeah. dot com. Download that. All right. Uh, we just want to thank everybody for listening, sharing, liking, commenting. Look, we got that Facebook page up and running. Yeah, yeah, Could yeah. Give that's, it a that's like. Really share cool. it. Uh, y'all go check it out because business is on there and yeah. some other funny stuff. Everything, everything yeah. we talk about on the show, we're gonna, you know, if it's something we think you might have an interest in, uh, we're gonna we're gonna put it on there. Hey, should we do a quick? Uh, should we do a quick poll on there on? We could guilty, not guilty. Yeah, yeah, let's do that. We'll do. Let's do that. We're Look not, for that uh, on Facebook. We're going to do a guilty, not guilty. We, poll we don't want y'all to think so that far. we're making light of this case because we're not as horrible in so many ways. But I mean, we just like to gamble a little bit. That's we're right. Shot and buy. That's right. We got to do something in between football season. Right. So, and uh, please continue to uh, share that on social media. So we, we're trying to build that up. Yeah. And until next time, I'm Jim Chapman. And I'm Woody Overton. And I'm Mike Agavino. And for Real Life, Real Crime Daily, peace. Show business. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't 
win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please play responsibly. For help, visit MDGamblingHelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. 